0: Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In Romans chapter 9, the Apostle Paul declared, It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. The Bible is the living, inerrant, and flawless word of God, and has never failed, nor can it ever fail. Sometimes, however, it is difficult for us to understand or discern the meaning of the scripture. Let's open our Bible now to Romans chapter 9, that we may learn from the example of Israel, this principle of the never-failing Word of God. Well, good morning. A good, very early morning here. It's a uh, Friday morning here in Texas, and uh, Stephen and I are here in the studio. It's actually six twenty-five a.m. and man, we're up getting ready to study the Word of God. And uh, whoo, I mean, I was I was thinking about it this morning at like five thirty, five forty-five. Is there just you know just getting up early, right? And you know just uh, just spending time in the Bible, having fellowship. I mean, is there anything better than like a, a six a.m. Bible study where brothers and sisters in Christ get together and just 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 spend time in the scriptures. You got your coffee there, and you got the living word of God. My goodness. Woo. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. Wow. Well, hopefully y'all are loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus, growing to know him more and more, growing to obey him more and more, and growing to know just his love for you. Um, thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. We're still... Uh, we're in Romans nine again. I don't know how many teachings this will be. Maybe around five. I'm thinking at least five. Um, difficult chapter. Um, again, uh, when we when we study the Word of God, right, Corinne? When we read our Bibles, we want to do our best to let the Scripture speak. Okay, we don't want to impose our own views on the Scripture we don't want to make the scripture say what we want it to say and we want to do our best not to impose a a system or a framework over the scripture as well and um and and you know that that's hard um i would say 95 98 99% of the bible is plain it's unambiguous what the scripture is saying is very clear and and I believe that's how the Lord would have it. The Lord would have it so that you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to, to do this as your job, as I do and others do, to, to understand what the text is meaning. Any of us ought to be able to pick up the Bible, read the scriptures verse by verse carefully, and you know have a grasp of what it's saying intuitively meaning like we would read anything else now we are reading the word of god but you know the lord didn't intend for us to need uh, you know greek scholars or hebrew scholars or latin scholars um or scholars to teach us historical geographical cultural context authorial uh, intent you know what is the intent of the author all of these things are helpful but we ought to be able to read the scriptures and simply take it for what it says, okay? Now, here in Romans 9, again, that's going to be difficult because, uh, again, it is perhaps the most difficult chapter in the Bible to grasp. Um, On its face, it's completely unrelational, okay? The difficult parts of this chapter, um, it starts off extremely relational with Paul being you know, having, you know, unceasing anguish in his heart for the lost souls of Israel, which is really almost the entire nation, you know, had not received Christ. The religious leaders were persecuting him, trying to kill him. And yet he still grieved for them. He had sorrow and anguish in his heart that they would be saved. We talked about that incredible love of Paul. Um, but then it's gonna move into just very, very hard verses of the Lord saying, I'll have mercy on whom I want to have mercy, I'll have compassion on whom I want to have compassion, and and who are you to talk back to God? Who are you, oh man, to 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 you know, to to charge God with what he does, you know, with his with his own property? We, you know, we are owned by our triune God. We are his creation. Humanity is. Is the creation uh, of the triune God, so very unrelational um, and again difficult uh, difficult to understand, but we're going to break it down and uh, and see what the Lord has for us so father again, we thank you for your word we thank you for your mercy, your favor your goodness, your grace on our lives father we we do thank you for this this wonderful chapter of Romans nine father um, father we thank you that you know, in your sovereignty, um, you know, you, Holy Spirit, we thank you for giving us this chapter, for it being worded in the way it's worded. Um, We do ask you to give us eyes that see Holy Spirit, ears that hear, and hearts to understand your word. Lord Jesus, we worship you, we thank you, and we praise you, our only Master, our only King, our only Savior. Father, we commit this time into your hands now in Jesus' name amen and amen. Okay. Romans 9, I'm going to read uh, 6 to 13. Verse 6. It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time I will return, and Sarah will have a son. Verse 10, not only that, but Rebekah's children had one and the same father, our father Isaac. Yet, before the twins were born, or had done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls. She was told, "The older will serve the younger," just as it is written. Jacob, I loved, but Esau, I hated. All right, thank you, Lord Jesus. And and right there in verse thirteen, um, you know, we're going to see, you know, some of the difficulty in uh, in verse thirteen. Um, uh, Paul is quoting uh, the prophet Malachi, the, uh, the last book of the Old Testament, the 39th book of the Old Testament, and, and quoting the Lord is saying, Jacob, I loved, but Esau, I hated. Now, that should cause when a normal reader comes through that, okay, that should cause a pause. What are you, what are you talking about, Father? Um, you know, the word of God says that God is love right? Uh, the book of First John, right? It makes it clear that God is love. John 3, 16, the most famous verse in the Bible for us, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, whosoever shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Um, we are exhorted in the scriptures to love. We're exhorted to to love our enemies, Um you know, Jesus exhorts us to love our enemies. Um, and so what is this talking about here? Just as it is written, Paul quoting the prophet Malachi. And Paul is using the Old Testament scripture clearly to back up his point here. Now, what is his point? Because on its face, you just take the words, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Well, Father, how can you exhort us to love enemies? everyone to to love our neighbors as we love ourselves to even love our enemies but yet it's okay for him to hate so that would obviously be hypocrisy and one of the things that we can't do and you know C.S. Lewis spoke about this is we you you just can't use the god card right may we can't just use the god card every time you know something doesn't make sense to us in the scriptures. Meaning you can't say that it, that it's okay for God to hate because he's God. Because now that's just, now you could just use the God card in anything. Okay. We have to keep studying. We have to keep digging. Okay. Um, does it mean here that that he has, that that God the Father just has hate, you know, in his person, in his being for Esau? Hate meaning just this, these feelings of animosity and bitterness, um, you know, and just anger. And so we're going to get into that. No, I don't believe that is the case. There are some who take that and say, yes, that's that's what it means. And again, 99% of the time, again, the scripture, we ought to be able to take it at face value. But, um, you know, there are scriptures that are difficult. So we're going to break that down um, Lord willing. So what Paul is doing here is you remember, he says in the, in the beginning of the chapter, the famous verse in verse three, we talked about, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race. Again, I say, I say famous, it's not, you know, um, it's this, it's this tremendous, incredible, overwhelming picture of love. It's not so much a famous verse as an overwhelming verse of just the immense love of Paul. A love in actually a human man, a love in a Christian disciple of Jesus that's infinitely beyond any, anything any one of us has ever known, ever. Uh, we talked about last time just to, and, and Moses has this this similar love we talked about in, uh, in the book of Exodus right last time. And, uh, and, and, and it's, it's so beyond understanding that Paul is saying that if he could, and he can't, he knows he can't, but he would be willing to be separated from Jesus to spend eternity in hell out of his tremendous love for the souls of his own people for the Jewish people of Israel, who had, for the most part, almost entirely rejected Jesus as Savior. There were, you know, obviously a certain handful, there were little pockets here or here, but the 99% of Israel had rejected Jesus as Savior. And still today, the vast majority of the nation of Israel has regrettably not received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And without Jesus, every single one of us, Whether we're Jewish or whether we're Gentiles, which means we're non-Jewish, without Jesus, we spend eternity separated from our Heavenly Father, from Jesus Christ our Lord, and from the Holy Spirit in hell. Um, And so the consequences are immense. That's why Paul says in verse 2, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed. And cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. And then he goes into theirs is the adoption as sons. There's the divine glory. The covenants, the covenants God made with, with, with Abraham and you know um, Isaac and Jacob. Uh, the receiving of the law. The temple worship and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, the patriarchs, the great fathers of the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac. And Jacob, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. And so he's grieving, and he's dealing with what's going on with Israel now. And so the natural, you know, the reader could could come to you know those in Rome or reading this could come to read it and say, well, golly, the Word of God promised that you know that He would save His nation, Israel. So did did the Word of God fail? So, in verse 6, he says, it's not as though God's word had failed. And why? For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. So, what Paul is saying is that when God said all Israel, okay, his chosen people, Israel, would inherit, you know, salvation, he wasn't speaking about, about the natural physical descendants of Abraham. He wasn't he wasn't speaking about those who are simply born into a Jewish or Israeli family, right? Physically. It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel just because you were born in Israel, just because you have Israeli or Jewish parents, that that's not you know, who the Lord was talking about. He wasn't talking about a physical Israel, so to speak. He was talking about a spiritual Israel, right? For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, verse seven, nor because they are his descendants, are they all Abraham's children? Okay. So again, Abraham is obviously the father of the Jewish nation. And just because you were born, you know, in Israel, and Abraham is your great, 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 all the way back you know, grandfather, um, how many generations it is, nor because they are his descendants, are they all Abraham's children? Just because you physically descend from the line of Abraham doesn't make you, uh, you know, a child of God simply based on your, you know, your your physical, natural, you know, nationality. Um, and this is, you know, so Paul is giving an explanation here, right, Pop. He's explaining to us that the word of God has not failed. The word of God cannot fail, okay? Nor because they are his descendants, are they all Abraham's children? On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And that's in Genesis 21, verse 12. Um, And so what does he mean by that? What does he mean by they're not all Abraham's children? On the contrary, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. So Abraham actually has eight children. Okay. He has his first child. Um, He takes matters into his own hands. You know, Sarah is, you know, believes that she can never have a child. She's past childbearing age. So she says to take my my maidservant Hagar um, and, and go and, you know, sleep with her and we'll build, you know, a line through Hagar. Um, and the, the, they should not have done this, okay? This was not the will of God for their lives, and Abraham, you know, goes and, you know, and has relations with Hagar, and she conceives, and she has a, a son, Ishmael, but again, this happens in the normal way. This happens in the same way that that, that all children are born, right? There are natural relations between a man and a woman, and uh, the woman gets gets pregnant, right, Rap um and you know it's it's the normal natural way to conceive a child and to have a child but r- verse 7 says on the contrary it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned now the lord comes and gives a promise and says this time next year um you know sarah will bear a son um and and miraculously by the promise of god Right. The Lord opens Sarah's womb. Now, you know, they still have natural relations together, but it comes as a result of 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 a promise from our heavenly father. OK, Sarah is well past childbearing years, as is Abraham. And yet the Lord blesses them so that they can they can have a child together. He opens Sarah's womb, which had been long past childbearing years all right? Nor because they are his descendants, are they all Abraham's children? On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Verse eight, in other words, it is not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. So, Isaac is the second child of Abraham. He has, um, he has six children after Sarah dies, with you know with his wife i believe it's Keturah um so a total of 8 children but it's only Isaac that came as a result of a promise it's it's only the son of Sarah and Abraham not Abraham's other seven children that that the line of Israel and that ultimately the Messiah Jesus would come so when you step back and think about this it's you know it, it's pretty profound right um you know it's uh, God the Father gives a promise to Abraham that that Sarah will conceive and have a son, and one year later, sure enough, she does conceive, and this son comes as a result of a promise of God. Um, Abraham had to trust and believe that this would happen. The famous verse, Abraham uh, Genesis fifteen six Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Uh, He wasn't made righteous by what he did or by his works, but by his belief and trust in taking God at his word, that he would be a father of many nations. And that would happen through this son and did happen through this son, Isaac, by a promise that God the father promised he would be the father of many nations and promised that he would have this son, Isaac. Abraham trusts God And this, sure enough, comes to pass, right? So, on the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned, meaning the spiritual children, those who are the, quote, spiritual Israel, so to speak, will come through the line of Isaac. They won't come through any other of Abraham's seven children, but only the one that came about through Sarah that came by a promise and a blessing and a miracle well after, well after hundred, I mean, you know, decades after Sarah could bear children, right? Verse eight, in other words, it is not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. Verse nine, For this was how the promise was stated at the appointed time. I will return and Sarah will have a son. Okay. Um, at the appointed time, all right, and that's Genesis 18, uh, It's I believe verses 10 and, and 14, that, that there will be a time that the Lord will come, open Sarah's womb. They'll still have relations, right? They'll still have normal relations, but the Lord will, will bring a pregnancy about, again, long past the time that either of them could ever hope to have children or conceive children. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. So again, this happened by God the Father giving a promise and by trusting in this promise and, and, and by the promise coming to pass, this promised child, Isaac, through actually Sarah, through his wife, Sarah, who never thought she could ever have a child. She's the one that came up with this idea and presented it to Abraham that To go ahead and you know let 's make a family through my maid servant Hagar, and uh, again, it was not the will of God, and terrible consequences have come because of it right um again they they, they took matters into their own hands um, and scholars say that it's through Ishmael that that the um, that abraham's you know son with with Hagar, it's through Ishmael that we get the the entire Muslim nation that comes from. And again, um, uh, it doesn't matter whether you're you're Muslim. It doesn't matter whether you're Hindu. It doesn't matter whether you're Buddhist. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you're agnostic or atheist. It doesn't matter you know what your religion is. Every single one of us needs to trust and receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, the salvation of our soul deliverance from eternal hell and to go to heaven when we die. And and without Jesus, none of us could go to heaven. Okay? Every single one of us needs to be trusting, relying, and clinging to Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. And that certainly happened. OK, so again, what Paul is saying here is that it's not that the word of God had failed. It's not just all the physical descendants of Israel. OK, it's those that come as the result of a promise. OK, it's those that come through the line of Isaac. And as I said, ultimately, Jesus will come from the line of Isaac, right? It's powerful, okay? Um, Isaac will have Jacob, then Jacob will have the, you know, his his 12 sons, and out of the line of Judah, right, um, will come our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will come the promised Messiah, okay? So ultimately, the promise begins with this son, Isaac, but but that is just a picture, a type, or a shadow, right, Susan, um, of, this, uh, of the incredible promise of the Savior, right? And Jesus, right, will come through this line of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And Judah is one of the sons of Jacob, and Jacob is the son um, of Isaac, and Isaac was, you know, the 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 son that came as a result of the promise that God the Father gave to Abraham and Sarah. Pretty incredible, right? All right. So now all that, all that, you know, seems to, to make sense. Okay, all right. So that makes sense. So God's word hadn't failed. All right. So I get that, that it's not just it's not the natural descendants of Israel, it's those who it's those who come and receive the promise right? Um, it's those who, you know, like Abraham, who believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It's those who have trusted in the Savior, Jesus Christ, and the promise of eternal life through the Savior, Jesus Christ, that, that those are, are Abraham's true descendants. Those who who receive the promise of eternal life by faith in Jesus Christ, right, Corinne? Um, not those who are trying to To work their way, you know, or trying to earn their way to heaven. Um, You know, every religion in the world is trying to approach God with their good life, and none of it will ever work. Okay, we cannot work our way up to heaven, so to speak. It's only in biblical Christianity that our God, God the Son, Jesus Christ comes down and meets us where we are, meets us in our need, meets us in our sin, and comes and lives a perfect life on our behalf that we could never live, dies a torturous death on our behalf that we should have died and was raised from the dead. And by simply receiving that that blessing, receiving that gift, trusting in the promise of eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord, that we are saved, And we are actually one of Abraham's children, even though, you know, we may not be Jewish. The vast majority of the church, the 99.999, whatever it is, percent of the church is not Jewish, but yet, you know, because we've received the promise of the Savior who was Jewish based on his, you know, just his natural physical, right, uh, line, Jesus, that we're saved. So, I mean, it's deep. Right? It's it's profound, it's powerful. Now we move over into verses 10 to 13, and it starts getting hard. Okay. All that makes sense, what we've said, right? Verse 10. Not only that, but Rebecca's children had one and the same father, our father Isaac. So now, now Paul is moving on um, to when Isaac is, is a grown man. He's married to Rebecca. And it says, Rebecca's children, Rebecca is Isaac's wife. Remember, Sarah was um was Abraham's wife. And then we'll, we'll talk about uh, Jacob's uh, wives, right? Um, you know, um, Leah and Rachel. Not only that, but Rebecca's children had one and the same father, our father Isaac. Okay. Yet, verse 11, before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose and election might stand, verse 12, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told. The older will serve the younger. All right, so now Paul again is building an argument here very clearly, right? Um, Rebecca's children have the same father. They're twins, okay? Um, verse 11, yet before the twins were born, okay, or had done anything good or bad, and Paul says, why? in order that God's purpose and election might stand. And this is where we're really going to begin to unpack this in the next couple of teachings. Um, and we're going, to, we're going to talk about what is this what is this doctrine of election? And is that what Paul is speaking about here? Um, the, the plain reading of the words is, yes, that it is speaking about election. And if we're to make application to our lives, right? it is you know it is you know it it does apply to us um and that's what's difficult now again there are scholars that are going to say that 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 what paul is speaking about here is is the nation of israel he's not speaking about our election as christians but again the natural reading of the words okay it does convey, it does convey that, it, that it does apply to all of us. Again, it's a very, very, very difficult doctrine. This doctrine of election is real. Um, uh, the doctrine of predestination, the doctrine of election, the doctrine of God choosing, God the Father choosing and predestining and electing those who will be saved, who will receive eternal life. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says, before the world was created, So, election is a reality. God the Father certainly did know, certainly did elect, certainly did predestine, destined beforehand, before they were ever born, all those who would be saved and spend eternity in heaven, and also all those who would would not be saved and they would spend eternity in hell, they go their own way. Every one of us deserves hell. But he predestines and elects those who, you know, who are going to be in heaven. Now, the question, what we're going to break down is what was the reason for that? What was the cause of God's election? Was there a reasoning behind why he predestined or elected or chose some and didn't choose others? And that's really the entire argument. Okay, and we're going to we're going to break that down. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, but but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. And that is in Genesis uh, 25. And the older Esau will serve the younger Jacob. And then verse 13, as we talked about, just as it is written, Jacob, I loved, but Esau, I hated and again we're going to we're going to break that down more as we go forward. So Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness and your grace on our lives. Father, we we just thank you again just for this book of Romans, this incredible chapter in, in verse 9. And again, we do ask you to open our heart to it that we might understand it and we might we might grasp it that we might yes, um and that we might live our lives according to what it says. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We worship you today. Holy Spirit, we ask you to seal this message to our hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.